0: Hey, what's up guys? This is Sarah McAllister and you're listening to The Business Perspective where we talk to successful businessmen and women about their business journey, difficult experiences that have helped them become successful, and then dive deep into something they specialize in. Just some quick housekeeping. If you guys like this podcast, please follow it, share it, um, do whatever you can to get the word out. That would be very helpful. Um, And that's that's all of my housekeeping. That's all I have to say. So today's guest is a friend of mine who uh, helps people. I'll let you tell them what you like to do. So please welcome Herb Stewartson. Thank you for being a guest today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Of uh, course. So my job is a business broker. That's the, the professional title mm-hmm. that we get. And about 90% of the people that I talk to when I tell them what I do, uh, they say, what is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty simply, we help people buy or sell a business.
0: Okay, cool. And what did you do prior to that? How did you get in that business?
1: Oh, it's um, it's it's kind of crazy how I got into this. It's really, uh, we have a family business here. And uh, originally, I was in law enforcement. So I spent over 20 years mm-hmm. doing that. And part of my part of my career, I got into doing white collar investigations which brought me into looking at profit and loss statements bank statements uh, tax returns and I found myself kind of being a nerd mm-hmm. and getting into the numbers and uh, through the course of, of just dealing with that uh, and having a background with a family business in electrical contracting uh, I, I was given the opportunity with my uh, my father-in-law and his business to uh, jump into business brokerage and it kind of became this natural fit of liking numbers loving business entrepreneurs and being able to do something that you know helped me get to know people and have them uh, be able to exit their business go on to retirement or somebody who's just looking to control their own destiny by buying a business
0: Cool, awesome cool so what is your favorite part about what you do?
1: Oh, the favorite part. Uh,
0: and what's your least favorite part? We all want to know that part too. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we we'll, uh, well, so the least. The least favorite part is is truly dealing with the uh, the, the prospecting aspect, of going out and finding uh, business owners that are, are looking to sell, mm-hmm. and just th- that's it's that's just part of a sales routine mm-hmm. that you have to get into and you're, you know, you're, you're doing marketing and you're doing cold calls and warm calls and, and just, you, you have to do a lot of that mm-hmm. to, to, to be, uh, to, to be successful. And it's, that's just like anybody else that's in sales. It's, it's probably one of the, the least favorite parts of it.
0: People that say they like that, they're lying. Right. It's such a lie.
1: Right. I know it's, I, and the ones though that can do it, I mean, God bless them. Mm-hmm. It's,
0: so oh, they it's, get energy
1: from prospecting? Yeah, yeah. they just, they're they are just, you know, they like being on the phones and, and I just, I don't know, I just can never find myself as, as really enjoying that, uh-huh. but it's a, it's a That's necessary right. evil. You just have yeah. to do it.
0: Yep, for sure. And then your favorite part?
1: Uh, favorite part is, is when you get to, you just can see uh, how relieved a, a, you know, business owner is mm-hmm. when they know. They're kind of on that path to retirement. Yeah, you know they've been they've been thinking about this day of, you know, being able to sell the business, and it's this very emotional. Uh, yeah. It's 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 a very emotional event for a business owner. If you think in terms of, uh, bringing up a child, mm-hmm. so for a business owner, they if they started the business on their own. And they had to kind of work it through all of these stages, right? To where it's like a child in a crib that can't do anything, can't roll over. And they had to just sort of keep working at it, working yeah. on it. And, and it just builds it to where it's, you know, it's crawling. Then it's walking. Now it can run. Now it can drive a car. And it's going off to college. Then some guy shows up and says, hey, I want to take your, you know, I want to take your daughter away and make mm-hmm. her part of my family. And, and so it's, it's a, a lot of the same things for a business owner. They've, sure. they've gone through all of these, these processes. And now they're at the very end and they go, I've got to sell it because I really, you know, I want to be able to retire sure. and, and and go on to this next part of my life. Yeah. So it's it's great to see them though when they when they kind of have that re- that relief and they're just they're they're moving on to the next that next course. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the buyer side of it to where they're super excited because now, you know, they may have been in a in a a job nine to five job working for somebody or they've you know always dreamed of owning their own business and mm-hmm. now they've kind of realized that. And they're they're on this like you know brave new path, so very ah. very cool uh, to to see that happen.
0: And what is the what's the time frame like to buy a business? I don't know if that's a straightforward question. I know. Am I answering on my own? This so
1: to, to buy a, it, it really depends on it. It all depends on the buyer themselves okay. and how prepared they are how aggressive they want to be,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, as to how that, that timeframe is going to be. I've, I've worked with, with buyers that have been able to, uh, come in, identify what they want, find, you know, we'll find them that right business and they'll be ready to make an offer within, you know, 30 days of, of, of first seeing it. it. And once they get into that, once they have made that offer and they get into the, the due diligence side of things where they're, they're going in and checking out and verifying all of the financials and everything that the buyer or the seller has told them, uh, that, you know, that process can take another, you know, 20 to 30 days. And then if there's no financing or anything involved, you know, they can have, they can have a closing, you know, Perfect within, <laughs> yeah. you know, from start to finish, they can do it within 60 days. Got it. Uh, I, I've worked with other buyers that it's taken them two years mm-hmm. to, to find the right business, feel comfortable with it and, and,
0: well, I think it's. Uh, I mean, people say buying a home is the largest purchase of your life, um, but I would definitely say this is a larger purchase, right? If if that is a path that they, they go down, right? So I would take it even more seriously. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's it's a it may and it may not even necessarily be a, a larger purchase, but the risks involved. With buying a business are significantly greater than buying a house. So if you, you can't think just of
0: find another house. I mean you can't just find another business.
1: Right. So you go and you, you see a house. Well a house is this, this, this tangible, you know, asset. And really the, the, the thing you worry about is well if the neighborhood goes downhill or if maybe the market kinda cools off and, and there's a little bit of loss in value there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay. That's understandable. With a business, that's a livelihood. Right. So you're almost putting all of your capital at risk when you buy a business, on the hopes that the cash flow is going to still be there when you take over and it's going to continue on. So there's a and the
0: livelihood of everyone working under you. Right. Too. A
1: lot yeah. of, uh, yeah, you can take on you, you take on all of that responsibility of the employees that are there and making sure that hey the money the money keeps flowing so mm-hmm. that you can make payroll now. Right. Um, you know, we have a. There's a saying that we have uh, when we're talking about business owners, and the fact that, you know, they understand the value of a dollar because they have to sign the front of the check.
0: Right. Yeah. Makes it's, sense.
1: It's 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 a huge responsibility.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I know that um, prior to recording this, we wanted to talk about some of the big mistakes that people make prior to wanting to sell their business. So talking from a business owner aspect, um, or from a business owner perspective. So I do want to dive into some of the the mistakes that people make so that any business owners out there can try to plan ahead. And just some quick tips for them that they can take with them and put in their toolkit. But before I do that, um, your prior job, you said white collar crime. Yes. Is that what you said? Mm can, can you give me an example of what that would that would look like?
1: It could be uh, embezzlements. Mm-hmm. It could be credit card fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, any uh, income tax uh, return fraud. Mm-hmm. I worked a lot of fraudulent tax returns.
0: Oh my! So it you can was, read through those suckers. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, this looks fishy. <laughs>
1: oh, it was, and they were all and they were all completely bogus. So it was just it, it was a matter of uh, what would happen. And this is why I always like stress to people, be careful about where you put your social security number. And, uh, and actually, if you're, most of the victims of this are senior citizens, mm-hmm. and it's when they're putting their social security numbers down, what would happen is you'd have people inside of uh, different businesses, a lot of times some medical practices mm-hmm. would, uh, they'd have an employee who had been recruited by somebody to write down names and social security numbers off of patients, and then they would send them over to this to the bad guy and then the bad guy would just jump on a free tax return site like TurboTax, and they would just fill out these complete bogus tax returns. Where the only thing on there that was legitimate was the person's name and Social Security number, and everything else would be bogus. But they would set it up so that the final, uh, the final uh,
0: um, Payment or rebate return. or mm-hmm.
1: yeah, their their so their their um, return would get them a. Um, a check back from the government mm-hmm. for roughly eight to nine thousand dollars.
0: So, where would yeah. that check go? Would that go to a bank account that was registered? It
1: now? would either go to a usually a, like a net spend uh, type of you know, um, throwaway Visa card mm-hmm. that uh, that were that were pretty popular. So, there was like net spend and green dot cards and all those, or the TurboTax card, or they would put in uh, they would find kind of a, a straw bank account mm-hmm. that they could have money deposited in, and then they would just go pull it out of the ATM as, as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And then they would send, and then these cards would then go to uh, drop mailboxes in different areas. So they'd find, you know, sometimes homes that were in foreclosure, well, they would put that address down as the mailing address. So then the, the post office would go and deliver that refund to that mailbox. And then well. they would just know when that refund was going to arrive, and they'd go grab the envelope, pull the card out, go to the ATM, and then just empty the ATM.
0: The reason I was intrigued to hear more about that is that situation happened to me. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and back when I was in college, and it's I didn't even find out until I was fi- filing for uh, like financial aid and scholarships and things like that. I didn't, I mean, that's why I think that our, our school system should be changed a little bit because I didn't even know how to read I didn't know what I was reading on my tax return. Oh uh, really? I, I mean, I just, I just kind of skimmed through it. I would never think that someone would take advantage of me like that, but it was an accountant. Oh wow! And they had uh, depo- They had chosen to, they increased what I made and uh, just had additional deductions. And then there was a uh, another bank account secondary bank account so my portion was sent to me as promised we and then there was refund. like yes and then there was like four times that amount sent to this other account um wow. I, I guess that had my name on it i don't know i felt like that was like too easy right i felt but i i mean obviously i watch stuff like that now yep uh but and he has since been caught <clears throat> side note uh <laughs> but people are Uh, strange i don't even i don't even know this world they're
1: brazen and you know and part of the problem really was so the the irs the irs was was a big part of the issue because Mm. they and there were directives given down to them in the in the late 90s Mm. and it was get people's returns back their their refunds back to them as soon as possible So there's no vetting that goes on. When you file your return, you know, and you get that, you know, that notice back says, oh, your return's been accepted. That's just them saying, okay, all the, you know, the addresses and everything look like it's correct. There's no, you know, there's no reason why we can't get your refund back to you, but they haven't even looked at it to see if it's accurate. Mm -hmm. They've just, all they said is, okay, it's great. We got it. And they start processing the refund. So there were millions, millions of dollars that were going out in fraudulent refunds every single year. And there was really not a lot that can be done about it. Plus, the other side of it is the IRS is not allowed to release tax returns to anybody but the individual filer. Mm -hmm. And as soon as a filer tells them, well, there's a fraudulent tax return then they go, okay, well, we can't release it to you, the fraudulent one to you then because you're not the one that filed it.
0: So it's like a bottleneck it's bottlenecking itself. So
1: you, you, so you almost can't right. even get to it. So it wasn't until there was a little bit of common sense that went into the investigative side of it on the, from the IRS that we were able to start putting cases together. Mm. And there was huge epicenters for it. It was Miami and Tampa were two of the hugest areas where the frauds were coming from.
0: In the United States or in Florida?
1: In in Florida.
0: Got it. Yep. Mm. Interesting. And weird, because I I, and I don't know if this is for sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that those are one of the, the three main ports for human trafficking, too, in Florida.
2: Oh, yeah. That's yep.
0: mm. interesting. Watch your kids. Watch your money. Right. Watch everyone you know you live there Um, okay so sorry I got off on a little tangent but so what are some of the mistakes business owners make prior to selling a business
1: so you know you you said a a very key word which was you know plan right so Mm -hmm. something that a business owner can put into their plan and one of the biggest mistakes we see is most business owners do not have a plan for exiting their business Mm -hmm. they haven't thought about it they've been so busy trying to make, make a living and running their business and dealing with all of the issues that come up with that, that they, they haven't really sat down long enough to go, well, what am I going to do with this? What, you know, when, when do I want to retire? When, you know, how am I going to retire? Who's going to take over the business? And, and that's really one of the the biggest errors that, that we see. And, and that kind of lend leads into the other, the other areas, right? So, Uh, just not even thinking about or having that plan is is a huge issue
0: Um, I I mean with the financial planning aspect of it too when we go and talk about retirement planning with a business owner that is one of the first questions that I ask and a lot of the times I get I don't know I never thought about it yep and then it's like okay we just hit a huge brick wall because that's our retirement asset but we don't know what we're gonna do with it right and I can't, I can't draw you income from that more than what you're already drawing now. That's not where my expertise is. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you don't want to work anymore? Or you Maybe can't. It, or you can't. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And that's and that's usually what what happens it, is some there's some sort of a life change, mm-hmm. uh, you know, life event change that makes them have to then think about exiting the business. And sometimes they've they've made some mistakes that really hinder their ability to, to get enough money out of the sale mm-hmm. to get them through retirement Got it. and, and that's kind of where we lead into like some of the other mistakes that they mm-hmm. make that are huge
0: so and before we go into the other sta- mistakes can you break down uh, what types of businesses there are so such as a service oriented business uh, where you are the business if you are providing a service per se um, like like in my business I'm doing the work physically doing the work okay. right uh, versus other types of businesses that may be easier to sell like are there different categories do you guys categorize them that way
1: no not really we we more categorize businesses based on their their industries okay and Got it. because that's that's typically how most people are going to be looking at them they're going to be they're going to be searching something out specifically by the, the 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 type of industry that it does so it could be somebody wants a restaurant or somebody's gonna want a some type of a contractor business or you know maybe they want something that's in the financial planning field mm-hmm. or you yeah. know it's an accountant CPA uh,
0: got it and then within that industry then you can find where the value is whether it's for me if it was the book of business or the building where the office is or something right like that the yep. assets that it holds. exactly Machinery, yeah so that, that goodwill like that. right mm-hmm. so that
1: goodwill is is generally where the value of the business is. Mm-hmm. So and that that goodwill is it's it's book of business or it's customer base, the name of the business, um, and some other things that play into it if there's a reoccurring revenue or contracts that you know have that that repeat business um, those those are all things that kind of play into it and mm-hmm. then if there's additionally real estate involved, that you know can add certainly will add value to it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes though it it could be more of a hindrance to ah. selling the business itself. Hmm. So that, that presents some challenges that we always have to, to kind of take into account.
0: Got it. Okay. So having a plan, that's mistake number one. What would you say mistake number two is?
1: So it's kind of tough now to sit there and think about, like, what's going to be. So number two really is not having a plan. Uh, well thought out or organized financial record system okay that's that's one of the 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 big areas that we we see a problem in yep so they they get into the they get into their business and you know they they live or they work out of the checkbook and Mm -hmm. the bank statements and maybe you know uh, some type of a, a handwritten ledger or excel spreadsheets and they don't have a real organized way of of showing the, re- the financial records of the business.
0: What are good ways to, when you say um, using Excel or uh, handwriting everything, what is a good system they can use? Like when you see it, you're like, yes.
1: So if, if somebody, just just any type of an organized accounting system, you know, like QuickBooks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, is one that we see a lot of. Mm-hmm. And, but I'll, I always have to throw this with a little bit of caution because and I actually just met with somebody the other day, they're, they're using QuickBooks, mm-hmm. but they're kind of sort of using QuickBooks. Got it. And when I look at what their p statement says and then I look at what their tax return says, there's two completely different numbers. Mm-hmm. And when I start asking questions, okay, why, you know, why are you only showing this much revenue on, your, on your, your P&L, but you're showing this number on your tax return? I don't know. I, you know, they, they, they can't figure out where the mistake is. So it's making sure that if they're going to use that system, that it is well set up and that they if they don't understand how to use the system, then they go get training on it or yep. they engage a, an accountant or a bookkeeper that can help them.
0: Yeah, because if I'm buying a business and I see those numbers are different, that just gives me huge, more power. To huge negotiate. red flag. Yeah. Yep. Right. Got it. And, and the acronyms, P&L. Profit and loss. Yep. Okay. Got it. So profit and loss compared to what your actual statement is showing at the end of the year, right? Yep. Got it. So they should line up using QuickBooks, something like that. Cool. And then how far back do they typically look? So if I have my, um, if I want to get organized on the accounting side and I want to sell my business, is there a certain time frame that I should be doing that? Like if I'm five years out, am I too late?
1: No. So what I would generally say, if, if somebody can start at least two, preferably three years out from when they're going to sell, that's that's going to be good. And the reason why I say that is to, if, if a business is going to require some sort of, of financing mm-hmm. or, or you know lender participation to, to make a deal happen, then the is gonna want two years, at least two solid years of financials. And if you can get those, then that makes things much, much easier and much smoother. Got it. Uh, now, if you've got a situation where your revenues might be declining a little bit.
0: That's what I was just gonna ask next.
1: Then yep. <laughs> five years is what's gonna be, everybody's gonna wanna see five years because they're it. gonna wanna see a little bit longer track record.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then I will also say this, so if you're in a, in a business that was, that can be affected by uh, economic downturns like the recession and you were in business during the last recession, you, it would be a very good idea to make sure you knew what at least your gross revenues and your net profit was during those years. Because if you actually were able to survive it and, and your business did well, that's, That's going to be important yeah. information for you to be able to show to a prospective buyer.
0: Yeah, for sure. Cool, interesting. Um, and then, what's another tip?
1: So, the one of the one of the big issues that we see are business owners that love to run. Well, one of the big perks of, of, of owning your own business is being able to run personal expenses through the business.
0: Yes. To a degree. Yes.
1: Some people take it a little bit overboard and they run a ton of personal expenses through there. And they do that in an effort to drive down the net profit of the business. So they don't have as much of a tax liability. Got it. Great. If you're wanting to just, you know, avoid having to pay those taxes on a yearly basis. But if you're getting ready to sell the business, it's a killer because more often than not, those, personal expenses uh are run through the business in a way that we can't unwind them uh, w- meaning we cannot add them so back you can't in. tell
0: the prospective buyer this is they said they're going to take client out to eat but really they took jim joe and jane their kids
1: right or it could be something it, it and a lot of times it's it's something that's even you know harder to even justify such as they might have um they're paying for their dock slip, right, for their boat out mm. of the business, or they've got um, you know, some, a, a condo somewhere, and they're paying the property taxes for a you know, vacation condo or, or things of that nature, but they pay them with a credit card, and then they just pay the credit card off and call the credit card you know, some other expense, mm. or they'll put you know, that credit card through the cost of goods, where it's kind of buried in with a lot of other expenses, and so we can't even go in and even try to parse and those see. out and, yeah. and, and itemize them, mm. and be, simply because it's it's there's just so no way to verify it.
0: They're showing that the the business is more expensive to run right. than it really is. Yep. Got it
1: exactly. And okay. and so where that really hurts them is when we go to do evaluation on a business, it's typically uh, where we're looking at what other businesses in that same arena sold for, and then there's a multiple that that comes out of that and it's typically done as a either a multiple of EBITDA which is the earnings before interest depreciation taxes and amortization or it's uh, a multiple of the seller discretionary earnings which is kind of the net profit plus any of the addbacks uh, which would be the owner salary um, the interest depreciation any uh, you know personal perks, that the, that the sellers got going through the business that are legitimate ad maybe like a vehicle or some fuel or, or something along those lines. So we have those those multiples. Well, <clears throat> if somebody has run so many expenses through the business that they've driven the, the net profit down to, we'll just say for, for a round number, they've driven it down to 25,000, right? But in reality, it should have been a hundred thousand mm-hmm. in in profit. They've saved themselves, depending on what their tax rate is, maybe fifteen cents to twenty-five cents on the dollar, right? In, in in taxes for every single dollar that they've they've sheltered. But what they've done though is they've cost themselves anywhere from two to four dollars in value for yep. every dollar they've sheltered.
0: So, uh, what I when you're telling me that, what I observe is that. It's really important to work with someone who um, can help you sell your business and get them to work with your accountant and your financial planner and whoever else is on that main uh, planning team for you so they can coordinate and come up with a plan for you, right? Because a lot of times the accountant might have a different goal, but maybe they don't realize what the goal for the business owner is, uh, right. they may, they may not realize that they're trying to sell so a little bit more communication a-
1: and that's a huge thing and and a business owner needs to identify that, that's why they really need to identify you know what their time frame is going to be to exit because if they're if they've done some of these items and they know well I'm probably going to sell in like 4 years well it's not too late you can you can make some changes yeah. now and get your business in a in a position to where instead of getting you know, eighty thousand dollars for a sale price. You can get three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars for a sale price, and by sitting down and talking with your CPA uh, and saying, "I think I might want to sell in three years or four years," they're going to be able to give you some. They're they're going to change probably the way you structure, essentially, what your your tax strategy is. They're right. gonna, they're going to restructure that mm-hmm. based on. You selling the business because there's other things to also take in, into account. So if you've got a business and you and it's very, uh, very heavy in capital expenditures, so you have a lot of equipment that you have to purchase on a regular basis, mm-hmm. you probably have a lot of depreciation going on in there, and a lot and, and many business owners are taking advantage of some of the changes in the tax laws and they're taking the full depreciated value in the same year that they've they purchased the item the the one seventy nine. Instead of
0: phasing it, Uh,
1: and right, correctly. So, so.
0: I remember that when I was in school, and I'm like, I don't know what this means, but I know that's the answer.
1: Now I get it. Exactly. Yeah. So, (laughs) so, and it's um, you know to them, it's just, hey, the government tells me I can I can deduct this Mm -hmm. uh, against my my profit, so I don't have to pay as much in taxes. So I'm going to do it, and I just know that the magic number at the end of the day means I don't either have to pay tax or I'm getting some money back. Well, that's great except for when you go to sell. And if you go to sell the business and you sell those assets for a significant amount above what the depreciated value is, the government wants their money back and they do it in the form of recapture Mm. and that is taxed at the normal income tax rate as opposed to the sale price of a business for Mm. the, the goodwill which is taxed generally at the capital gains rate. So you can have a huge tax bill if you've significantly depreciated your assets down and then they get sold for a, you know, the actual true value of the assets. Actually,
0: ma- Another question is how the, the taxes, how the taxes work. And can they, I don't know if you can answer the, this question or if it has to be a, a CPA, but can they take those funds and buy another business and help with the tax taxes there? Or is it? pay your tax start over right
1: so in the in the real estate world they've got the 1031 exchange Mm -hmm. uh, on that I have not seen where that's been widely used in in the 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 purchase of a business got it so generally speaking it's it's great for the real estate uh, commercial real estate side of things Mm -hmm. but not necessarily in the in the business world but the best bet is talk with your accountant and go over what your your options are
0: come up with a plan come up with a plan I know right yes
1: it's like it's the theme come up with a plan
0: Yes. okay so a few more tips I know that there's something that hmm, there's something that we spoke about before that I cannot remember off the top of my head I think it was the the income side of things showing the income properly any other tips or things mistakes that you see business owners make or buyers make even
1: so um well with the with the business owners one you know one area i'll touch on is uh, customer concentration okay so that's a that's a huge huge area that they don't really think about in terms of getting ready to sell their business and it it Definitely. What does that mean exactly? So, customer concentration is when a when a business in, a business's income is coming from only a very small portion of uh, places, right? Uh, only a small portion of customers. Ah, okay. So, you have a like you know, your a
0: customers and they generate the most money for you. Right. They're small. Maybe they're 10%.
1: Correct. Yeah. You okay. might have, you You know, if you've got, you know, two customers and they represent 50% of your gross revenue. That's a lot of risk
0: in that's two people.
1: Huge two. amount of risk, right? Yeah. So if you lose one of those customers, yes. th- there's there's a huge problem. So buyers look at that and go, I don't like this. That's, it's just a, you know. You're so vulnerable. Right. Yeah. And, the, and the simple fact that they're also just now stepping into the business. So mm-hmm. they have no idea how these customers are going to exactly how they're going to relate with them, whether or not they're going to stick around. There's, there are some ways to, to try and mitigate that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it always results in the seller getting less money at the closing table for their business.
0: So what are some ways, if there is a way, I guess, just to be, uh, to realize if that is a problem within your business and try to expand a little bit. Right. So it's, it's
1: really, you know, taking a look at your revenues, where they're coming from and and understanding the business side of, you know, of your business, where your revenues are coming from and then saying, okay, how do I, you know, how do I make my wings a little bit wider? Right. And it could be finding new customers, but it could also be diversifying your product offerings or your service offerings to, to something else. And and trying to see if there's there's different ways that you can bring in some other revenue streams so that if for one for some reason you lose that you know big customer over here, you've got other revenue streams that are coming in and it's not as as much of a hit to the overall revenues of the business.
0: What about I'm gonna flip the the roles for a second. What about if you're ordering from someone and it's uh, you're ordering from one company like if you right supplier, yeah yeah Mm -hmm. supplier
1: concentrations another issue as well so if you are selling a a very unique and specific product and it's only coming from one place then you're in that same exact boat if there is some sort of a kink in that supply line or there's uh, an issue with that particular supplier, or they decide they're going to, you know, start or dealing taxes with somebody or else. Tariffs or yep, any of that. Exactly. Yep, 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 It all makes all the difference in the world. And there's, and there's a couple of, um, there were a couple of companies that made uh, guitars, right? Mm-hmm. And their, and the wood product they used for the guitars came from different areas of the, of the world that, at one point or another, the government said hey, it's illegal to take wood from those. Oh, my I- gosh. I- to, to, to import that type of wood. And they actually had part of their uh, their supplies confiscated. Wow. And that would, would throw them off. Um, wow. And then you've got uh, companies that are dependent on uh, steel. So.
0: Or what about companies that uh, are being taken over by technology or like something of that aspect where – their industry or their type of business may no longer be needed, so you see the trend of income go down. Wait,
1: like, like, do v, like VCR sales. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So, I, I still use so a VCR every you've day. Got the, okay. the,
1: you've got the obsolescence that that kind of comes in. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, that happens all the time. You get, um, you know, the one of the prime examples is Blockbuster, mm-hmm. right? Aww. So they they went from you you could throw a rock and and hit one and to that now there's one great, left
0: by the way <laughs> I hate going to redbox I hate all that stuff I miss blockbuster so much
1: uh, talking about blockbuster so they actually had the opportunity to go into that uh, that video streaming or redbox type of scenario hmm. and the uh, and it was the online the online streaming and they passed up on it
0: Hmm. They think that they were they had too loyal of a customer. Yeah, they yeah.
1: they they couldn't they couldn't see where anybody was would where the value would be in somebody downloading. It's video somebody finding content. convenience. Yep.
0: Didn't they ever see like LimeWire or whatever it was called? Like all the right. the downloading of music and any other tips or things that we can do as business owners to plan just real easy things or again buyers, um, and and for that VCR example that you had for them specifically when would you suggest maybe starting another product line
1: oh absolutely okay. but start you know you have to look at the at the marketplace around you and i think one of the areas that is starting to uh experience a little bit of this is is the printing industry right mm. so they're you know they they have
0: that industry confuses me i will tell you i would think they would go down.
1: Right. So they, they're, they're the ones that are, that are now having to compete with uh, the ability for people to print stuff from home mm-hmm. that have great quality. And or, you know, that, that whole idea of, you know, business card printing or, you know, postcards or flyers and things, that can all be done online through these really large plants that can churn out, you know, thousands and thousands of pieces and spread their cost out. So, for you know, smaller printing companies, they really have to start thinking about okay, how do I diversify my, my product lines? Maybe what, look know, at
0: businesses as customers instead. I mean, right, yeah. and and
1: how can they and and how can they also leverage technology and mm-hmm. bring some of the similar services to you know their clients uh, that they might get from some of the larger retailers and but also control their cost yeah so that you know maybe if they can have some sort of an online portal where people can go in order products put all their little design pieces in there and they just you know hit you know purchase then maybe there's not that that labor cost right that they that they've got to, to deal with and they maybe are able to automate the way some of their printing uh you know presses operate so there's there's, there's not quite as much that has to go into it. So now they're decreasing their expenses, um, finding a way to, you know, get more and more clients that are going to be able to, to, you know, purchase stuff. And then you also just have to get into that idea of selling, right? Selling (laughs) those products and, and (laughs) explaining to them, you know, your, your clients, like why they, you know, why they have to have this, you know, particular type of product or how it's going to help their business.
0: Do you see a particular industry or type of buyer that is the most vulnerable or um, the mo- the in the toughest spot? So sometimes, sometimes my fiance says I ask questions backwards, and he's like, "What did you just say? Uh, what are you saying?" Um, but what I mean by that is, well, what I'm thinking is that. Uh, seller that has been in business a really, really, really long time that maybe isn't tech savvy and they don't know how to sell and they've just ran the business, you know, open the doors, run the business, shut the doors, and they don't know how to do it. Um, Or they're not open-minded. Right. Yeah. So,
1: you know, sellers sometimes can be their own worst enemies, I always say. And part, you know, Partly because, you know, they they find them they can find themselves in a disadvantage if they haven't planned well, mm-hmm. and now they're in a position where they have to sell, mm-hmm. right? They're in that position where they've they just have to get out, and they've they've got to take a you know essentially whatever a buyer is willing to pay them to to so get them out of that business. So you've not planned and you've waited too long, right? And it's you know something they've got health issues. And yeah. they, you know, they just they come in. They say, "Hey, we, we, we need to sell the business, but I've only got six months to live."
0: Or if uh, one of the business owners passes away, right. or the business owner, and there was no buy sell agreement or anything like that in place, or anything. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it, so you have business owners that pass away. A lot of times, they you know they may not have a will in place, mm-hmm. and so now you've got to go through this 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 probate process, which then delays our ability to to actually get a business on the market. And meanwhile, if there is not somebody continuing the business, meaning there's there's not employees that are able to, you know, that have a license or or if there's a license required or have the skill set needed to continue on the business, that goodwill Mm -hmm. is just withering on the vine Mm -hmm. at an exponential rate yeah and uh, it's we've had this we've seen that before we've dealt with it we've Mm -hmm. talked with we had one uh, you know woman her husband passed away and she actually she thought she was doing the right thing but she had a a family friend who is in a similar business and just essentially started forwarding over all of the clients to them with an agreement that you know he'll they will take care of those clients but what they did was all of now all of the 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 customer base was just eroded and it's just they're not going to come back so no one's really going to pay for the business what you know what it could have been worth at that time yeah
0: well okay so a couple last questions on a lighter note what are your favorite types of businesses to sell or to help with are there certain industries that are that you just really enjoy or industries that are easier to sell anything like that
1: no, you know, I lo- I just I love businesses. It's it's they're they're all big puzzle. They're so different. There's you know, business owners can be some of the most interesting people to talk to. Yeah, and just finding out you know why they got into something or you know how they built something to where you know where it is today. It, it's just super. You know, it, it's so much fun to inspiring. find all that. Out. Yes, there's yeah. there's some and there's some great people that we deal with. Uh, and, and there's, I mean, there's some challenging. You know, we we deal with some challenging business owners as well that, you know, have their just views on the way the world works and and how things should happen. Yep. Yep. And mm-hmm. it, it's just like it is in in you know any industry. So, but, you know, but the majority they're 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 good people, and you're just it's fantastic to kind of hear like their stories and
0: yeah. And then what are some? Are there some industries that are easier to sell than people think, where uh, maybe someone doesn't think that their business has any value, and it really does. Like, I know, for example, I asked you about, uh, like, a janitorial kind of company, and I know I asked you about a, f- a few more that you said, yeah, they are easier to sell than people think. So, what are Ye- some examples of that? Yeah,
1: there's, so there's, there's a lot of businesses right now that are going through... Um, just the industries of themselves are, are finding themselves in a um, consolidation mm-hmm. phase right so pest control was was one of those and there's lots of larger players that are going out there looking for these smaller uh, pest control companies and and doing what we call a roll-up so mm-hmm. they're they're basically just buying, buying them up, buying their business and just adding it to their books. Mm -hmm. So those, those tend to go pretty quickly. Insurance agencies, uh, Mm -hmm. independent insurance agencies. Those are, are, are ones that go very, very quick. There's a lot of demand for them right now. Uh, and you know, janitorial, uh, Mm -hmm. are they've just most, more often than not, they have a, uh, repeating client base. Mm -hmm. So they like that, you know, cash flow that's coming in, they can kind of predict it, makes it much easier for them to uh you know finance the uh you know finance that particular type of deal and mm-hmm. know how it's going to uh affect all the numbers. Mm-hmm. There's so there's you know a couple different ones. Um and then there's some that just there's always a lot of buyers for restaurants and bars. There's always a lot of buyers for them. Which and
0: I don't, I still, I don't get that either. Because that's the most work, it, I think.
1: It is everybody, but so everybody thinks work. they want to own a you know a restaurant, a bar, and and oh, no. don't realize that Mm-mm. there's a lot that goes into one. it. Yeah. And there's, it's, it's, uh, it can be. It, we've had more than a few that have bought restaurants, and then six months later called us back and said, "Can I get give me you, out of this? Yeah.
0: Can I return this?"
1: Which is another mistake that business owners make is buying a business and then trying to get rid of it in six months. Mm. Because what happens is, more often than not, when a business is sold, it's it's not the company itself that's sold, it's just the assets of the business, one of which is the name. Mm-hmm. but So the track record of that business starts over again, oh. from zero. So if you buy it, run it for six months, it's now a business with six months of track record. Oh. So the value of it is going to be significantly less than what you paid for it because no buyer is really going to give you credibility for what a previous owner did.
0: So then what happens? So if you have to shut the doors but you have a huge loan on it, I mean, it's not like a – I'm just assuming. It's not like a house where it can go – a tangible asset can go right back to the bank. I would assume it would go back to wherever it's being – financed if there's a financing agreement but right is that why it's is it it's more of a risk for whoever or whatever place is financing it absolutely got it
1: that's why yeah so getting lending on certain types of businesses is a little bit more challenging Mm -hmm. than uh, than others and because more often than not they're very there's very little uh, collateral Mm -hmm. involved and there's it, it. It's all dependent upon that new owner's ability to keep the doors open and keep that same cash so flow have, coming if in. So you have
0: proof on success in that type of industry prior. That would be helpful, right?
1: So, it, well, it's almost always a requirement. Oh. So if you want to get if you want to get lending on a, on on certain types of of businesses, they're more often than not going to look to make sure you've got some. You've had a type job. Of, <laughs> right (laughs) right some type of of you know work history or training in that in that whatever that business is so if you're uh, you know we had an auto repair facility Mm -hmm. that uh, that we had sold and it was financed through uh, uh, through a lender with SBA guarantee and one of the obstacles that we were having with the buyer was the bank kept saying well we really don't think they have the right experience or enough experience in the industry and I knew from talking to the buyer that he did. He mm-hmm. he he managed multiple auto repair facilities for a corporation, and he knew he he knows all about you know everything that goes into the the, the costing, the labor, uh, you that know purchasing. On, on he paper. knew all That's, of right? that. Well, so what had happened was I asked for a copy of his resume that he had sent to the lender, and I looked at the resume and. Never once in the resume did he mention that he that he had auto repair, mm-hmm. that it was that it was auto that it was automotive or truck repair. Everything was about it. it
0: because he was, was trying it, to get a job. It was there.
1: experience. It was yeah. It was it was kind of like this experience of like managing people. And he mentioned shops, but nothing ever got into the fact that it was managing a particular you know type of shop like auto repair or so truck it made repair. So it
0: look good for that corporation
1: so right so it didn't but it didn't help him with the lender because the lender said well we think he's got good experience in in uh machine repair but not really auto repair and so we we looked at his resume and and i went through and i helped him rewrite it and i said what does this mean and he would tell me i go okay this is how this is how we need to write this Mm -hmm. and just helped him work through rewriting that resume resubmitted it to the lender with a letter and the lender looked at it and went oh that's fine you got all the experience you need and, and, and it worked, but otherwise they were going to require another,
0: let it go work somewhere. for. Well, <laughs> no, was,
1: well, so they, what they're going to do is put a lot of the, they were going to put the, a lot of the responsibility back on the seller Oof. and one of like the employees, if you, if they bail out, then the right there. So they were going to make you? the seller hold a, a, a note. They're going to mm. make the seller finance part of the deal for a, for a greater portion of, um, it's a then,
0: huge risk if you want to retire, and then you get this correct. business back in your yep. lap the next day. Right. Never mind. And
1: and while seller financing is a, well, and I will say that seller financing is a huge key to getting a lot of businesses sold, mm-hmm. especially when economies go south. Mm-hmm. But uh, in this particular instance, it really wasn't necessary. But because there was a little bit of miscommunication with the bank, they were looking for something Other to ways, offset. Yeah the, the risk, risk to the bank. Yeah. So it's, well, we can go ahead and have the seller put in a bigger note. And now the seller is going to have a vested interest to be down there all the time, kind of making sure the guy's doing, you know, mm. able to do this. And then there's another, a key employee there. And they were going to, they were basically requiring that the key employee get put under a five-year employment agreement mm. before the closing took place.
2: So to, make sure that they so
1: to make sure that that key employee was yeah. there to, to kind of help run the business well I'm I think employment agreements with key employees are, are an important thing mm-hmm. but it's a double-edged sword if you're doing it just before you're getting ready to go to closing right because then the key employee goes well why do I have to have an employment agreement right because most often more often than not they don't know What's right. going on? Oh. So now that now the seller has to go sit down with them and have this conversation. Say, "Well, I want you to sign this employment agreement and do all these things." What and, do I get? For and it's like, why? And so it's that awkward moment of, "Well, I'm thinking about selling the business," or they've got to, you know, kind of skirt around the truth. It's much better if you have a key employee uh, in your business that you find a way early on to have some type of a, a, an employment agreement in place, and you tie it to something beneficial for the employee right so if you've Mm -hmm. got say an electrical contracting business and you're you know you as the owner have the master electrician license to qualify the business but you've got a really fantastic employee there who could go get their master's license well if you can say I'll pay for you to go get your master's license but in return I need you to be under this employment agreement with a non-compete You are setting yourself up in a better position to be able to sell the business, right? right? Because there's now somebody in house who's an employee that can qualify the business for a new owner. Mm -hmm. And yep, there's going to be some loyalty there. And you've got, um, you're not going to be worried about this at the last minute. Uh, And and plus, if you're going to have any type of lending, if a buyer's going to need any type of lending, the owner, the seller of the business, can't be the qualifier of the business. Mm they can't be they, they can't they're be, not gonna be there anymore. right so they they Usually. don't like it you know so if yep. if you have a and I probably just butchered the way that uh, that came out but so if you have a uh, if you have a business that requires the somebody to have a specific type of license for the business to operate so we'll say electrical contracting as an example and they're gonna sell but a buyer is maybe coming from and where we see this a lot is we'll have somebody who's an electrical contractor in Arizona and they're coming to Florida, and they want to buy another electrical contractor. Well, they don't have a Florida electrical contractor's license, mm. so they cannot qualify this Florida business to operate. So they need to have somebody to qualify the business long enough for them to get their license. Got it. Which can be maybe they can get it done in six months. It might take two years, depending on the type of the license. So if they're going to get lending, the lenders will basically say, you have to have a qualifier that's an employee of the business and it cannot be the seller Mm. under any circumstances. So if the seller's the only one with the license, you're kind of in this, you you get stuck in this position where more often than not the deal falls apart. Uh. So having that one individual that you kind of promote up and is there to kind of take over is, is a good thing to have. Not to mention also if the seller or the business owner falls ill or something mm-hmm. happens, they die. That qualifier's there. So if they've or got all the right agreements buyer. in place, mm-hmm. it could be. Yep, mm-hmm. that could be somebody. If you've got an employee that's you know that has the right amount of you know m- funds saved up and mm-hmm. you know, can kind of pull it off, or you can put together some sort of a, a seller financing agreement where the. Or
0: well, I'm thinking like if they just took over, yeah, financing agreement, and they took over and then paid a residual income or something like that. Yep.
1: Too. Yeah, there's different ways. There, there's certainly different ways to structure the deal with mm-hmm. a with an employee uh, an employee purchase, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a, gotta and be creative. Yeah, and that's really where a lot of that comes into play is is just how creative they can get and what is a seller What does a seller have to get out of it? Mm-hmm. Which again goes back to if they did their exit plan and they know they sat down with a financial planner who's a mm-hmm. rock star, mm-hmm. and that person says, "Well, you're going to need this much money to live on moving forward," mm-hmm. then they know what their tolerance is going to be for know how exotic a, a, a deal structure can be
0: right yeah makes sense cool love it thank you i learned a ton so hopefully everyone else did and if not then just listen to it all over again anyway <laughs> um any final thoughts and if not where can people find you
1: so they can uh i think final thoughts uh you know the best best thing you can do is is uh ask questions have a plan do research and uh
0: not put your head just in the
1: sand. Not put your head in the sand. Just sometimes you just you run your business. You gotta put your head up a little bit, look around, and get an idea as to what path you are on mm-hmm. and if it's the right path. Yep. And if uh, anybody has any questions or they need to get in touch with us, they can uh, they can reach me at uh, our website, which is www.fbxbrokers.com. com. And they've also uh, we've got a, a great little. Uh, Kind of a value builder assessment tool that they can go on and do, and they can put in some, uh, basically, to ask them it's a questionnaire, to ask them a lot of uh, key, uh, ask them about some key components of, of how things are in their business. Not anything that's proprietary, but it'll it'll ask them about, you know, do they have cust- you know, do their customers make up more than a certain percentage? Do they have a key employees? All of these uh, little kind of questions that we talked about as is, uh, some issues that come up with different businesses and go through and they'll give you kind of an assessment score at the end
0: cool. and, awesome, uh, love it. it's totally free and then uh, where's your office located um, can they email you or is your contact information on that website
1: so contact info is on the on the website but if they want to email me uh, without having to go there it's it's my name it's herb.stuartson at fbxbrokers.com and our office that I work out of which is our admin office is in Port Orange and we've got offices though in Jacksonville, Lake Mary, and Tampa. So cool. we've got about 20 agents across the state.
0: Awesome. A Love lot, it.
1: Of, lot of good people working for us.
0: Cool. And guys, if you have any questions for me, uh, feel free to send me an email at smcallister S-M at newyorklife.com. That's S and Mary C A L L I S T E R at newyorklife.com. Or you can go on my website and uh, ask me a question, find my contact information there, which is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H-L McAllister.com. Very simple. Sarah L. All right, guys. Thanks. See you next time. Have a good weekend.